Good morning. My name is Yvette Schatt, and I will be reading our scripture passage this morning. We will be reading from Revelations 2, verses 8 to 11, which can be found on page 1914 in your Pew Bibles. Before we do so, let's begin with a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to read it. We pray that you open our minds and our eyes to see your truth. Amen. To the, to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, these are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks for that. Just as a, a, a brief context, we are journeying uh, through the letters to the churches that are in, in Revelation 2 and 3. Uh, this is our second week. Last week we talked about the letter to the church of Ephesus, which has in it a, a pretty sharp critique of the church and, and a challenge to them to love one another and, and to love others, uh, and they had forgotten that love. By contrast, this letter to the church in Smyrna does not have a sharp critique at all. In fact, it's only one of the two letters that doesn't admonish the people for something they're failing to do, but speaks a word of incredible grace to them in the midst of their struggles. We're going to talk about this church and, and try to get a little bit of the context that the people were in that, that this letter is being written to. Smyrna is a city we probably haven't heard of a whole lot. It's not mentioned often in scripture. It's, it's not one of the big popular cities, but it was a very important city in that uh, part of, of what is now western Turkey uh, during that time period. In about 200 BC, so 200 years before Christ, Smyrna was the first of the Asian cities to pledge allegiance to Rome. It was the first one to say that we identify with Rome. And there were other military powers and kingdoms that were around them, but they chose a side and they chose it very resoundingly, aligning themselves economically and militarily with the people of Rome. As that Roman Empire grew, they continued to grow in their, their kind of nationalistic identity or imperial identity. They, they wanted to be the real Romans outside of Rome. They built temples to, to honor the Roman emperors. They built all sorts of other edifices and, and things that people would encounter and see that said, this is kind of the Rome away from Rome. If you're here... You're a true Roman. And they made sure that their citizens knew that, and they were, they were one of the cities that was quite liberal in saying, you want to be a citizen? Here's how you can do it. We want you to be Roman just like we are. 
They continued with that identity and growing it and, and kind of steeping themselves in it to the point of saying, if you're not one of us, you're against us and we want you out of this city. The second thing we should know about Smyrna as we enter into this letter and to what Jesus is saying to the church that gathered there is that Smyrna was also home to one of the largest Jewish populations outside of Israel. At the time this letter is being written, it's 20 years after the, the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. And so it's become a place where, where Jews have scattered all over. And, and this is one of the places that many of them settled. Some of them went down to Alexandria and down into Egypt. Others went up. And those who went up, many of them sm- settled near Smyrna. In fact, they became so well integrated, we have lots of evidence that that many of the people who are part of the leadership of those Jewish synagogues were granted uh, in Smyrna Roman citizenship. And and because they made such a a public contribution to the well-being of the city, the Jews there were liked by the Romans and they were welcomed in. But because they were liked by the Romans... And because they had such a a prestigious political and economic space in that city, they were also ones who were very quick to identify anybody who didn't belong to them. And so they would put people out of the synagogue who were not real Jews and therefore couldn't be Roman citizens and couldn't be associated with them as Jews. They needed to make a distinction. And the Christians, Christians in Smyrna, were some of the people who were persecuted most heavily by the Jews in that city. Forty years or so after this letter is written, there comes along a a, a bishop. He actually was probably already in Smyrna and, and knew of this letter when it was originally read to the people there. His name's Polycarp. Polycarp was one of the disciples that John, the Apostle John, actually discipled and raised up. And he becomes eventually the bishop of Smyrna. He becomes one of the leaders. And as he's speaking there and as he's leading that church, Polycarp is actually dragged out into the public square, betrayed by the Jewish leaders in the city, brought before the Roman, Roman leadership and government, and executed. The suffering, the persecution that this letter talks about is something that the Christians in Smyrna were living and would continue to live in the decades following this letter. It's a context most of us have never lived in. Being in a place that's not just occasionally uncomfortable with Christianity, but that is outright hostile to Christianity. It's a place that's seeking to to uproot and destroy and remove any semblance of the Christian voice because it is seen as so antithetical to being Jew and to being Roman and therefore having no place in this culture or in this city. It might be hard for us to relate to it, but I want to help us enter into what's happening here and, and see that there are things that we still today here in Canada can relate to as part of, of what Jesus is saying, not just to the church in Smyrna, but to all the churches. If we're reading along here in, in this, we, we hear Jesus saying something to them that, that's pretty simple. I know your afflictions and your poverty. I know your afflictions and your poverty. 
And Jesus is speaking to them and saying, I, I see what's happening. I see how difficult it is for you to follow me in this place that doesn't want you to follow me. I see what is happening to you because of that, that, that as you're here and in this city and as the city is turning against you and this environment is, is pushing against you, you're actually experiencing poverty. You're at an economic disadvantage. One of the things that will pop up in a later letter, it's that the economic deals at that time, they were done almost all in the context of a temple. You would come into a temple together and you would offer appropriate sacrifices and you would share a meal around those sacrifices to say that we agree on this deal and we call the gods as witnesses to bless us even as this food's blessing us now. And there was a, a turning towards the gods, whichever temple you happen to be in, to bless your economic deals. And if you weren't willing to participate in that, if you were not willing to be part of that economic environment, then you just didn't get the business. The jobs weren't there for you. The deals weren't there for you. You couldn't barter the same way and make the same type of, of arrangements to, to have access to the resources you needed. It became an environment that led to the poverty of God's people. This is not true of all the churches at that time. There were other churches that were quite wealthy and they had some of the leading citizens of the city. We hear multiple times in Scripture how some of the, the leading women of the city actually supported the church and the work of the apostles and they had resources. Paul himself says, there are times I lived in plenty. So this is not to say that it happened everywhere. But here in Smyrna, what was happening was an economic persecution. It became difficult economically to be a Christian, to make ends meet. And Jesus is saying to this church, I see you. I see what's happening. It's uncomfortable. In fact, it's disadvantageous to be a Christian here. I see that you're in a place where it's hard to follow me. And it goes one step further. Jesus says, I also see those who are Jews but who aren't really Jews. That synagogue of Satan, a really loaded term I'll, I'll come back to in just a moment. He says, I see the slander they're directing towards you. I don't know about you. Maybe you've been in a place or a season or a time where you've experienced that. That because you're a Christian, someone, someone slights you. They say something that's not quite true about you. They say something in a way that, that turns other people against you. Maybe it's happened at work. A co-worker who knows you're a Christian kind of undercuts you. And they do so, and they, they come back to you and say, well, you're a Christian, you have to forgive me. And they push you off. Maybe it's come in a classroom setting. I was talking with someone this past week who's, whose child is just starting in a master's degree program and, and they were explaining that one of the things that's happened is they're stand, sitting in class the first day and the professor makes it known that Christians aren't welcome in that class. And the professor speaks out in a very aggressive way to demean Christians. And you sit there and you wonder, how am I going to survive? How am I going to make it through in this setting? You see, the, 
the starting of the persecution, the, the experiences that were happening at that time. We're not yet at the extreme of what happened to Polycarp where he was dragged away and put to death. They're not what we hear about happening in the Middle East and what we've seen happen in Egypt and in other places by ISIS where they've beheaded Christians but was happening at a place that was affecting the day-to-day realities of the people. That because they were a Christian, because they were known to be Christians, they were put at an economic disadvantage in their culture, and they were put in a place where they were no longer allowed to move freely and interact freely, and they were actually in a place where people started to discriminate against them and say false things about them. The word God speaks here. Regardless of where we're at on kind of that spectrum of persecution and spectrum of of difficulty of, of trying to work out how do we live as Christians in this culture and in this time where we're not in power, where things are not coming to us easy, where things are, are difficult and hard, and where we have to make difficult choices about what we believe and how we're going to live that out word Jesus gives in this passage is an incredible word of grace. It's a word of grace that says, in the midst of suffering, to whatever degree it comes to you, in the midst of suffering, know this, I am the one who is the first and the last. In other words, all the suffering you're going to experience is contained. It doesn't go on forever. There is a limit to it. I was before it, and I will be after it. And Jesus is drawing people to pay attention to him in the midst of circumstances that beg them to ignore God and say God has forgotten about us. Jesus is saying, pay attention. I was before the trouble, and I will be after the trouble. We might say in response to that, but Jesus, just because you were before it and just because you're after it doesn't mean that it's comfortable in between. And Jesus' response to them, I am the one who died and who now is alive. In other words, I'm the one who entered into the worst the world has to offer you. I entered into death itself and I have overcome the worst thing the world can do to you. And now I'm alive. The one who's speaking, the one who is coming alongside them is speaking a word of grace to them in the midst of their struggles, not from some distance away, far, far away from them, but as someone who is drawn close to them, someone who's with them and is familiar with their suffering. When I was 18, I had the opportunity to go to Budapest, Hungary for two and a half weeks. Our job there as we went was simply to do street evangelism. Walk up to people, start talking to them about Jesus pull up uh, on on one of the tram rides, sit down, wait, look around, start talking to somebody about Jesus. And we did this for two and a half weeks. While we were there, uh, a missionary who was in that area in Budapest, uh, who had been there for, for decades already, heard that we were there and he made an arrangement with our leaders to meet with us one evening. He told us the story of his time being in not only Hungary, but in East Germany and all sorts of places that were controlled by the communist government during the 60s and 70s and 80s. 
And he talked about how when he was young, he came to know Christ. And, and at five years old, he was, he was out praying. And he said, I went and sat by a tree at five years old, and I pray that someday I might have the privilege of laying my life down for Jesus Christ. Quite a prayer. <laughs> he talked about how through his adult lifetime, he had been one of the people who had been smuggling Bibles steadily and faithfully into Eastern Europe. And that at one point, he was arrested by the KGB for doing this. He was caught with a suitcase full of Bibles, bringing them in. They arrested him, put him in prison. And after they had, they had interrogated him and talked with him, one of the soldiers said, you must agree from now on never to come into Eastern Europe again and never to bring Bibles with you. And the guy said simply, I can't promise that. I will come back. The soldier pulled out his gun and put the gun to his head and said, you will promise this. And the man started weeping. The soldier's response, uh, he said, was one of finally we broke him. And the man looked up at him and said, thank you. I've been praying my whole life that I might have the opportunity to die for my Savior, and you're giving me that opportunity. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to bear witness to Christ and to be counted worthy of suffering alongside him and with him. It's quite a stark statement to be said to us, for us to hear this story. The soldier left the room, obviously, since we were hearing about that story and did not pull the trigger. He said it was a short time later that a couple of the soldiers came to him and said, man, you're crazy. Open the prison door and let him go. He said, I went back to Western Europe, grabbed another suitcase of Bibles, went back in. It became a pattern for him uh, of entering into the suffering and beginning to understand the truth of what's in this text that the one who was before and after the suffering of the world and the one who had entered into the world, worst the world had to offer could still be at peace and live in such a way that they would be faithful to Christ no matter the suffering that was thrown at them. Jesus, in the midst of our suffering, speaks these simple words both, both to the missionary that we met but also to all of us here today. Do not be afraid. Did you catch that in the middle of this text? It's the one word given to this church that, that the church of Smyrna, this place that is, is filled with nationalist, imperialistic pride that wants to root out anything that isn't for the Roman Empire, this place that has a, a Jewish God-fearing people who, who should know the scripture and, and be able to recognize the promises of God who is then pushing these people out and pushing the Christians out. In the midst of that context, Jesus says to them, do not be afraid. It's quite a, a profound contrast for us to hear something like that in the midst of the suffering because our prayer would be, God, take us out of that suffering. And take us away from this difficult time. God, relieve us. And they may well have prayed that prayer. But Jesus' words to them are this calm, reassuring words. Do not be afraid. I was before the suffering. I'm after the suffering. I'm in the midst of the suffering with you. You are not alone. 
The church of Smyrna, what it desperately needed to hear was not a prodding to be more productive, not a prodding to go love their neighbor, not a prodding to get their theology right. It was a word of grace and peace to the midst of them in their suffering to say, I have not forgotten about you. It was God reminding them of Jesus' name given by Isaiah, Emmanuel, the God who is with us. Many of us here today need that reminder that in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our struggles, we serve a God who is not off at some distance waiting, us, waiting to see if we'll finish our tasks, but a God who is with us in the midst of what we're going through. A God who does not abandon us or forget us, but who sees us, who knows our afflictions and our suffering who walks with us. A year and a half ago, I had the privilege of serving as a delegate to Synod. It's the large gathering of leaders within the Christian Reformed Church. And I was placed on a committee that uh, our first responsibility was to listen to the, the stories from all, and reports from all our fraternal delegates. And fraternal delegates is just a, a fancy way of saying Christians from other denominations who happen to be there. And I had the privilege during that space of listening to a number of our brothers uh, who came out of Nigeria there were three different denominations from Nigeria who were there that year. And one of them had been a classmate of mine, Peter Asuna. Peter was at Calvin Seminary getting his MDiv the same time I was, and, and so we had a chance to catch up a little bit. Peter shared with the whole group and, and with me what the past couple years had been like for them as not just, not just the, the conflicts in Eastern Africa and in the Middle East were happening, but some of the persecution that was happening from radical Islamic groups that were in Nigeria. He shared how over 900 members of his church had died that year by intentional persecution, churches being burned down, houses and villages being razed, militant groups coming through and wiping out anyone who, who claimed to know Jesus Christ. And he talked not just about the struggle they were in, but he also talked about experiencing Christ's presence with them in the midst of the suffering. And then he began to do something that, that for me really brought this text alive because the encouragement for Jesus to the church in Smyrna is to be faithful. The one who is faithful will, will receive the victor's crown. And Peter talked about how those churches, that even though they were experiencing such persecution, they were also deeply aware of how many people from Nigeria and other places throughout Africa were, were in the process of fleeing as refugees to Europe. And that his denomination, along with a couple others, were actively training up missionaries now to go to Europe to plant churches among the refugees. And that they had in their vision because they knew some of those refugees fleeing Africa and the Middle East would eventually make their way to Canada and the U.S. That they were also working to train up missionaries who would go to both of those places to be ahead of those who were fleeing. And he said, we have to be faithful with the call that God has put on us to go with those who need to hear the gospel. And those fleeing desperately need to hear the good word that Jesus Christ knows them and loves them, and is with them. Faithfulness. 
You know that victor's crown? It's actually the symbol of Smyrna. The victor's crown spoken of here is the symbol of Smyrna. It's on most of their coinage that we have been able to find through archaeology. It was stamped onto the side of buildings. A victor's crown, this whole laurel wreath, they would often use it in the Olympics, but it was used to designate, especially in Smyrna, it was to designate people who had lived a great life that benefited the city, and it was given to them. It was given to them when they died. A great person who had sacrificed much for the city and much for the cause of Smyrna would be laid to rest. And when they were laid to rest, they were given this wreath, this victor's crown, to say essentially, well done. And here Jesus is taking that image and he's giving it to the church that's in Smyrna and he's saying, be faithful to the end. Even to the point of death, be faithful. Do not be afraid because I'm with you and I'm holding on to you. And when your journey is done, I will give to you the victor's crown. Not the one that Smyrna has, but the victor's crown that marks the entrance into the new life with me, that fullness of life that I have promised and that I have secured because I have overcome death. Jesus reminding the people of Smyrna and reminding all of us that he's not the only one, not only the one who is the beginning and the end, but he is the one who has died and who has come back to life. Death itself has died, has been overcome, has been undone so that those of us who follow Christ and are faithful to the end, no matter what, will receive this victor's crown where Christ himself gives us this crown and says to us, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's his word to Smyrna. It's his encouragement to us. In the midst of our suffering, do not be afraid, for I am with you, and I have overcome the world. Let's pray. We pray that you help us, Lord. Help us to, to see you. Help us to fix our eyes upon you, that in the midst of suffering, in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of fears and doubts, in the midst of uncomfortability at being a Christian, we might hear your steady and calm voice reassuring us, do not be afraid, I am with you. Speak these words of peace not only to us, Lord, but to your people throughout the earth, that no matter where we are and what degree of persecution your people are going through, that all of us might be able to fix our eyes upon you and rise up in faithfulness, seeking not so much to be successful, but to be faithful to you in all circumstances, at all times. This we pray, not so that our name may be made great, but so that your love and your faithfulness may be made known. In Christ Jesus we pray. Amen. As a way of responding,
I'm going to invite us to sing together, Blessed Be Your Name. It's number 343 in the Red Hymnals. <laughs> 